Uh, good morning, Four Oaks. Pastor Paul, if we don't know each other, <clears throat> it's good to be back in the land of the living. I feel like a phoenix rising from the ashes of Mordor. But nonetheless, if you feel me, if you kind of sense me flagging or feigning or losing my voice, just know I could pass this preaching baton at any moment. Like, I could just look at you and, like the manager, just tap my arm, call you in from the bullpen. So, so John Post, you could be on the mic this morning. I wouldn't do that to John, but I would do it to Pastor Scott. Anyway, nonetheless, open your Bibles to Romans chapter 6. It's hard to believe we've been walking through the book of Romans now for about five months. And one of the things that I find um, amazing is how Romans speaks with such clarity and with such authority on so many of the issues that we wrestle with culturally, personally, relationally, and theologically. And this is a great opportunity um, for us church family to really grow, to exercise our biblical theological muscles in this season as we're walking through the book of Romans. And, and one of the ways that we wanna help you do that, a tool we wanna give you, um, is this upcoming Theology and Practice Weekend that's happening on February 19th. Greg and Nora Allison are going to be our guests and resident theologians for the weekend. Greg is the Systematic Theology Professor at Southern Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky, and Nora, his wife, has been the Women's Ministry Director for years at Sojourn Church in Louisville. And on that Saturday, February 19th, Greg is going to be presenting and teaching on the topic of the book of Romans and Roman Catholicism. Now, as I say that, let, let me, let's be honest. Some of you, when you hear that, are like, oh, I don't want to go there, right? Um, I have family members, or I come from a Roman Catholic background, and it's a little uncomfortable, and I don't know how to talk about it or think about it. It's just kind of be... Why can't we just leave well enough alone, Pastor Paul? And, and that, in essence, is why we are doing this event, right? You see, before we can enter other people's stories with the gospel, we have to understand what the relationship are of those stories to Scripture. See, we have to have clarity, biblically, theologically, about, about these issues from God's perspective, from God's Word, as we are seeking to serve and minister to those in our lives who might be from a very different religious background. And so, so who is this conference for? This is, this is for, for anyone who, one, you just want to, to understand Roman Catholicism better. H how is it similar to the things that we have been hearing from the Book of Romans and teaching through here at Four Oaks? How is it similar? How is it dissimilar? It might be because you have a particular personal investment. Right, you're from, you're from that background. You have family members that you, that you gather with regularly. You might have a son or a daughter that's exploring Roman Catholicism, and you want to know, how, do I, how am I to think about this, Pastor Paul? How am I to engage? How am I to, to work through this? And so this is a great opportunity for us as a church family to really, again, exercise those theological muscles, to take the things we've been learning from the book of Romans and apply them in an arena, let's be honest, that, that is very real and very applicable to so many of us. Now, in this endeavor to understand the gospel and how it applies, we know this has always been the mission of the church for the last 2,000 years. And the same thing is the case, was the case in the book of Romans here in chapter 6. And, and kind of here's where we are. Paul has been preaching the gospel of justification by faith. 
It's the gospel that animates Paul in everything that he does. He understands that apart from the justifying work of God through his son Jesus Christ, we are all hopelessly lost. We are made right with God, not because of what we do, but because of what God and Jesus have done for us. But as Paul is preaching this gospel, uh, lo and behold, there have been a number of misunderstandings. There has been confusion on the part of many of those who have heard this gospel. And this is what Paul is addressing in Romans 6. And so two weeks ago when Pastor Scott preached this sermon, verse 1 of chapter 6 presents us this problem. Paul says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? And that was the issue. People were coming face to face with this gospel, and it just sounded too good to be true. What are you, are you, are you telling us, Paul, that, that we are made right with God, not by what we do, but by what God does for us? How, how is it that we who are undeserving can receive mercy and grace based upon the death and life of someone else on our behalf? This is crazy talk, and let's be honest. Whenever we preach the gospel clearly, whenever we articulate it, and, and John MacArthur says this, Martin Lloyd-Jones says this, of course I agree with them, or they agree with me, whichever one you want to put it, of course we're going to always have to be clarifying and explaining the gospel, because the gospel is like a foreign language, right, to the cultural air that we breathe. Everything we do in this life is predicated on what can I get done and accomplish for myself. If I'm going to make it, I have to make it on my own. I have to do for myself. I have to earn. I have to labor. I have to work. And the gospel so radically transforms our understanding of how things work in the spiritual world. It's always going to be the case, for Oaks, that we have to do what Paul is doing here and take some time for help for us to understand what this means and what this doesn't mean. And so to this charge... For people who are saying, well, well, Paul, come on. I mean, if, if, if God is going to pour out his grace in the midst of our sin, then why not just sin all the more? Why not just pour it on? If we want to see God's grace, let's just sin as much as humanly possible. After all, we have our eternal assurance. We have, we have our get-out-of-jail-free card. We've got our ticket to heaven. What could possibly be motivating us then to want to obey God. And we saw two weeks ago, Paul to this argument says, may it never be. And the reason, number one, that Paul says this is, this is the wrong way to think about it, he says is that you have been united to Christ. Christ actually is not your pal. He's not just merely your friend. He's actually your Lord, and he's living in you. And so to sort of take that posture, I can do whatever I want, it's to misunderstand the gospel. And not only is it to misunderstand the gospel, it might be an indicator that you've never really received and embraced the gospel and all of its claims on your life. And that's, that's where Paul was two weeks ago. In our passage this morning, Paul is returning to this same question, but he wants to give a part two to this answer. He wants to, to impress upon us, and here Paul is the pastor. Paul is the pastor, and, and he's wanting to, to address head-on this issue of why, why, why can't we just give ourselves over to sin? 
If it's all by grace, why does it even matter what we do? And Paul's pastor heart comes out in this passage, and he's going to give us the answer to that. So I'm going to invite you to stand as we read God's Word this morning, just nine verses. We're going to be in Romans 6, beginning at verse 15, and we're going to read to the end of the chapter, verse 23. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know? That if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness." I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's pray. Father, for those of us who know you, The deepest part of our hearts is that we would love you, follow you, obey you, please you in all that we do. And Father, we just confess we fail at this, we struggle in this, we don't get this right, we do things we don't want to do, and the things that we want to do, we don't do. And Father, that's why we believe that you've have brought us to this passage at this time in this place. Lord, that you really want us to be free from sin. And so, Lord, we claim that promise. I claim it on behalf of the people of Four Oaks. And so, Father, we lift this time up to you, Lord. Pour out your spirit upon us as we unpack your word together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please take your seats. Many of you know we're taking a a trip this summer to, to Germany, uh, to Four Oaks Reformation Tour trip, and we still have a few spots available. That's a little in-sermon promo right there, a little product placement. Um, we still have a few spots available, but I've been doing a lot of reading. I've been reading about Martin Luther, and some, one of the things you may not have known is that before becoming a monk, Luther was training to be a lawyer. In other words, he received all of his training in the law, and he was very incredibly gifted before becoming a Christian at writing and speaking and debating and philosophizing and all those sorts of things. And when he became a Christian and entered the ministry and God transformed his heart, it was very interesting that God took that raw material in Luther's life, his, his native gifts, his natural gifting, and then he marshaled it into service to the kingdom and to the gospel which made Luther, and I didn't know this until reading this this week, 
um, the most read author in European history. He was incredibly gifted, incredibly skilled, because God took that raw material and molded it through the power of the Spirit. Now, the same thing is going on with Paul. Let's remember, Paul was not always a Christian apostle. Before he was a Christian, he was a Jewish Pharisee. And his job, primary job, was to wreak havoc on the church. But Paul, as a Pharisee, was trained in the law. And Paul was an expert on reading and writing and debating and arguing. And what happens when Paul comes to Christ is, again, God marshals all of that raw material through the power of the Spirit and unleashes it in the service of his kingdom. Because I think that is one of the coolest things about conversion, right? Is God doesn't say your, your natural gifting or your natural intellect or your natural abilities were all wrong. No, no, you're made in the image of God. He said, but now you have a new master. Now I'm going to take that raw material and I'm going to mobilize it in service to me. And you see this coming through loud and clear in the text this morning. What we see is Paul's inner lawyer coming out. You see his legal skills on display. And it comes out here in verse 15 as Paul, in a sense, is prosecuting a biblical case. And the biblical case he's addressing is the one, again, we find in this first verse when he says, What then are we to sin because we are not under the law but under grace? And what does Paul say to that? By no means. If you want to use a little 21st century vernacular, absolutely not, Paul says. You've got to be kidding. Get out of here. Or if you're a wise guy from New Jersey, forget about it, right? That's what he says. And what Paul is responding to here is a fatal, and I do emphasize and underline that word three times, a fatal misunderstanding of the gospel. But this fatal misunderstanding that I can do whatever I want, whenever I want, by virtue of the fact that I'm playing a game of spiritual monopoly. Did you ever play Monopoly and you get that get-out-of-jail-free card? You put it right under the edge of the board there. I can it's just, keep that in my pocket. For some people, that's what the gospel is. Paul says, not only have you fatally misunderstood the gospel, but you are setting yourself on a course of making catastrophic spiritual decisions in your life. It can commit you to a course of action that is personally, spiritually fatal and devastating. And Paul is not just the lawyer in this passage. Paul is the pastor. And he wants to spare us from that. He wants us to have life and have abundant life that can only be found in a different kind of bondage. And that's not the bondage to sin. That's the bondage to Christ. And so here's where we're going to go this morning. Paul is going to lay out for us in this passage an immutable spiritual law. And this law is true if you're a Christian, if you're a non-Christian, if you believe in God, if you don't believe in God, you may have wandered in here today and you're like, I don't know why I'm here or what I'm doing. This is applicable to you. It's applicable to every human being. And what Paul is going to do is three things. First of all, there's going to be the spiritual law explained. Secondly, the spiritual law applied. And finally, this spiritual law evaluated. So that's, that's where we're going. Let's dive in. Spiritual law 
explain. Now, Paul says something interesting in verse 19. He says, I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. What what does Paul mean by that? Guys, let's be honest. Paul is going to use a metaphor, the metaphor of slavery, that quite honestly is repugnant to us, that is incredibly uncomfortable, that, that, that we're, because of our nation's history, because of the world's history, because of all the connotations that belong to it, Paul is going to use this illustration. He's saying it's not, it's not, a, it's not a divine institution, but, but it's one, it's a human institution that best captures the reality of how our hearts operate and function. It gives us a picture or an illustration of a immutable spiritual law. And here's the spiritual law, verse 16, key verse of the whole passage. Paul says this, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. The fundamental reason, Paul says, why you and I don't just simply give ourselves over to sin, even if we think our eternity and salvation is secure, is not only is it a misunderstanding of the gospel, but Paul says you will be captured, ensnared, and enslaved by those very things that you commit your heart to. In the gospel according to Bob Dylan, did you know that he had a gospel? Dylan famously saying, and all you ex-hippies know it well, right? You're going to have to serve somebody, Dylan saying. In other words, he recognized what is part of the immutable law, spiritual law that we see here. It's not do we serve, but it's who we serve. See, we all serve someone or something. Something in our life has, in our, life has our heart has our allegiance, has our affections, has our time, attention, resources. It's not a matter of do we serve things in our life, it's what are those things. Now, Paul actually uses a much stronger word than served, right? The word he uses is to be enslaved. It literally means to be bound up, to be in chains, to be in bondage. And they don't have to explain this metaphor too much so you get it. Slavery, by definition, entails absolute obedience to another, to a master. A slave is, by definition, a dependent. A slave, by definition, must obey. It was interesting, yesterday, um, we were here for Welcome to the Family, and we were talking about this idea of service, and that God has equipped all of us with various spiritual gifts that we're to bring to the body to use for the building up of the body. And we just talked about how volunteers serving is sort of the gasoline upon which this church runs. And being a volunteer means you volunteer willingly and freely. Now imagine though, if we had said, but saying that, we're going to set up pastoral sentries. Let's not, let's not make the pastors the bad guys. Let's make the elders the bad guys. We're going to set up elders at the door. And you can't leave here today until you receive this card which tells you how you are going to serve in this church, which just so happens to be children's ministry in the 9 a.m. service, just saying, just, just so happens to be. Well, what would you say then? Well, that's not serving. That sounds like bondage. 
That feels icky. That feels controlling. That feels coerced and forced. It doesn't sound like I'm free to do anything, which is exactly the point. See, is what Paul is saying here is we cannot not be slaves. We are either bound to God or bound to the enslavement of our own choices. This is how we were created. Because please understand, you, there is one God and you and I are not him. We were created, are created as dependent creatures by definition. And no matter how hard we try to be autonomous or individual or islands into ourselves, or to arrange our lives in such a way so that we don't have to depend on anyone or anything, we know, don't we, that's an illusion. Now, if you look, watch one of these survival reality shows, it's Life Below Zero or Living in the Arctic Circle, which why in the world would anyone do such a thing, right? Almost invariably, when they interview the people who are on these shows who, who live these lives in the 50 below, they, you, at, you can tell the producer, as he drinks his mochaccino and goes back to his trailer, is asking these people, why in the world are you doing this? And all of them say a version of this. They say it, they say it this way. We just want to be off the grid. We don't want to need anyone for anything. We don't want to depend on anyone for food, for shelter, for electricity, we want to be in control. We don't want to depend on anyone, and then parentheses, until we absolutely have to, right? Until a catastrophic weather event comes in. Or somebody has to fly in their groceries on one of those little pontoon planes. Or, you know, the reality is, no matter how much we try to get around this idea that we are dependent upon other people, the reality is that's who we are. That's who we are created to be. And the reason it's true is not because Bob Dylan sang it. It's because Jesus said it. Luke 6, 16, 13, you're familiar with it. Jesus says, no servant can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You, not, you cannot serve God and money. Now, he's talking about money but you can insert any other word in the place of money. You cannot serve God and food. You cannot serve God and sex. You cannot serve God and money. You cannot serve God and relationships. You cannot serve God and hobbies. You cannot serve God in your career. Now understand, all those things I just mentioned in their proper context are great gifts of God. And God gives us those things to enjoy him as his image bearers. But what happens in this immutable spiritual law is we begin to look past God for our ultimate joy and satisfaction and look to his gifts. And the thing that you are looking to for that lift in your life, that purpose in your life, that little extra something in your life, Paul says that's the thing you serve. Now, here's a little exercise to do this for yourself. What are the things that if they were taken away from you, what are the things that, that, that if they were removed from your life would absolutely crush you? Now, I'm not talking about suffering, okay? 
I'm not talking about losing family members that have an incurable diagnosis. Of course, it's right, proper to mourn and suffer. That, that's, not, that's not where I'm going with this. Where I'm going with this is what in your life, if they were taken away, would bring you disproportionate heartache, disproportionate disappointment, disproportionate bitterness, disproportionate anger? Is it your career, your status? Is it your health? Is it some other thing? Whatever that thing is for you, Paul says, that's your master. That's what you and I are enslaved to. Now, here's the beauty of the gospel. Here's the beauty of the gospel. The beauty of the gospel is that God exchanges our slavery to sin, to sin and gives us a new master, and this master is him. And this is a master that doesn't want to enslave us. This is a master who wants to love us, to care for us, to bind us to him, to give, to give us a place to lay our head, to give us forgiveness of sins. And as we become melded into that relationship, in a sense, we have exchanged one kind of bondage for a much more beautiful kind of bondage. We have exchanged an idol, which, let's be honest, will disappoint us every single time. It's not a matter of if, it's just a matter of when. In exchange for a new Lord, a benevolent Lord, a master who will never, ever disappoint us. Tom Schreiner says this, one is either God's slave or sin slave. Those who think that freedom is attained by jettisoning obedience to God opt for sin as their Lord. That's Paul's spiritual immutable law. Now, what does this look like when the people of God say, I recognize this. What does this mean? How shall I then live, Pastor Paul? That's where we're going to go next. Spiritual law apply. Look at verse 19. So Paul makes a therefore statement. So he says, verse 19, so in light of this spiritual law, now present your members as slaves to righteousness leading to sanctification. Now that word present, present your members, it means to bring out or make to stand before, to, to announce, like, like bringing something forward into the presence of royalty. Reminds me of being little back in the 70s. My mom would dress me for some gosh forsaken reason in this new polyester 1970s mint green leisure suit, right? And she would bring me out and what would she do? Present me to the family and the relatives, right? And they would all love it in applause and then I would be presented to my friends who would ridicule me, right? That's how it works. Well, in a sense, that's the picture Paul is giving us of what has to happen spiritually. We are to present ourselves to God. And what, what Paul is getting at here, this is in a sense, is declaring our intentions. It's drawing the boundaries and marking off what we desire to do. It's in a sense saying, here I am, God. I am willing, I am obedient, I am submissive. I am available to you to be molded and shaped. Not that I'm perfectly doing that right now. In fact, you may be far from it. But even those parts of you 
that aren't submitted to God, what you're saying is, but God, I recognize I want to want those parts submitted. I, I want to bring myself before you. In other words, this is a deliberate, decisive commitment of where you stand. Now, Paul then goes on to say, and as you present yourself to God, you present your members. Now, the word members, it does include everything that makes us human, our thoughts, our feelings, our physical faculties. But literally, the word members, it, it, can't, it refers to our physical bodies. It refers to our hands and eyes and feet and tongues and mouths and sexual organs and all of those things. And I think one of the reasons Paul is saying it this way is, guys, we are not Gnostics. Okay, what is a Gnostic? A Gnostic was a first and second century heresy, which basically said, you know what? The spiritual part of your life, your heart, your soul, that, that's to be set apart for God. But your bodies, eh. You can do whatever you want with your bodies. It doesn't matter. God doesn't care about your bodies. He just more cares about your, your mind and your soul. And it made this, it made a breach between the spiritual and the secular in people's lives. And the reality is all of us struggle with Gnosticism in some area of our life. It's Gnostic thinking that leads us to say, you know what? Sunday morning, that's for God and my family. The rest of the week is mine. Gnosticism is what is, it leads us to say, you know, Pastor Paul, my faith is a private matter. You know, I just keep that private in my heart and soul. I don't, I don't really like to get it out here in the open. Gnosticism is what leads us to say that, you know, God has authority over my church life and my family life, but my hobbies, my money, my job, not so much. Those are off limits. And by the way, every generation falls off the horse one side or the other on this. For gener some generations, it's just about the money. Can't give it up, can't give up control. For some generations, it's about the relationships. For this generation, it's about the sexuality. All of it comes into play, but being a slave of Christ, though, means bringing every area, every part of your life, every activity, everything that you do, and presenting it to God. Your health and exercise, your Netflix account, your bank account. And, and, and one of the things that, that I think Paul wants us to do here is to ask ourselves, where do we really struggle with this the most personally? In other words, what are the areas of your life where you've just sort of taken the tact, you know, I have no problem giving this to God, but these things I have a much bigger problem. Paul says, that's the thing that you're enslaved to. Where do you need to resolve in your life, church, to say, I am bringing, presenting my life, my members to you, Lord, I am handing them over. Now, Paul, and this is the great thing about Romans, Paul tells us exactly how this happens. Okay, look back at the text for a second. It says, you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart, and here's the, here's the operative phrase, to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. Now, that word standard of teaching is the same word we find in 1 Timothy 1, where Paul talks about the apostolic deposit, or the body of truth that has been handed over and committed to the church 
by the apostles, which we believe is, of course, the New Testament. Now, let me read that verse for you, and let me relate it to what Paul is saying here, because it's the same word, 2 Timothy 1. Paul says, follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. So in 2 Timothy 1, now here's, here's what's interesting. Paul's talking about this idea that the apostolic truth, God's word has been passed down from the apostles to the church. But here in Romans chapter 6, Paul is looking at it from the other direction. In other words, Paul's saying is truth is not something that has been merely passed down to you and handed down to you, and now it becomes like a relic. It becomes like an artifact. It becomes like a museum piece to sort of gaze at and maybe to affirm and to write about and to read about and to think about. But Paul says, no, no, no. This truth is not something that you merely has been passed down to you. It's something now that you are committed to. The word commit means to imprison, to put in jail, to confine, to be handed over. And what is to be committed or handed over? Your very self. This is not so much about the word of God being handed down to believers. Listen, it's about believers being handed over to the word of God. It's about giving yourself up to the word and to biblical teaching, to be stamped, to be molded, to be imprinted. Another, another 70s mom story. They're just on my mind this week. My mom used to make Jell-O. If you don't know about Jell-O, you have not lived. Let's be honest. I loved me some cherry-flavored Jell-O, and, and I would come home every day after school. It was Tang, Graham Cac Crackers, Jell-O, and Battlestar Galactica on TBS every afternoon. And the crisis of all crises, right, was when I would come home and we were out of Jell-O. My mom didn't just make Jell-O. She made it in those little tens imprints of like superheroes and stuff. Anyway, she, she did that number. But you can't just go whip up Jell-O, right? Unless you're a chemist freak and I don't want to hear from you. But you can't just whip up Jell-O. You have to like mix it up, pour it into the tin, and then what? Stick it in the fridge. And then what do you do? You wait. You wait. And over time, the Jell-O takes the form of the mold that it's been put into. And what Paul is saying is that is how the word of God is to function in the life of the believer. If you want to be molded and shaped by the word of God, we don't run haphazardly to the word of God. We don't have a mediated relationship with the word of God. We don't have a polite distance with the word of God. We, it's not like we just go without the word of God for days or weeks and then we're feeling anxious and Oh, I need to run back and find a scripture that talks about anxiety. Listen, go find a verse about anxiety. That's, that's not the point here. The point is, if you want to change, if you want to be formed and molded, you have to be saturated with the word of God. The word is the raw material that the Holy Spirit uses to mold you and change you. When Paul says, commit yourself to the pattern of teaching, he means live in the Word of God. And that takes time. It's a process. There is no shortcuts. 
Guys, lots of tools, don't get me wrong, lots of tools. We have tools available out at the resource area. Read through the Bible in a year. Lots of tools. That's not our problem. The, the problem is not that we don't have enough resources to pass the word down to us. Guys, think about this for a second. We have untold resources literally at our fingertips. You can go online and listen to what I believe is probably the greatest preacher in the 20th century, Martin Lloyd-Jones. And if you've got 11 years on your hands, you can listen to all of his sermons, right, through the book of Romans. You can go to blog sites. You can, you can, there, there are podcasts. There, I mean, infinite resources of the truth being passed down to us. That's not the privilege of everyone in the world. That's why we have missions. That's why we have Wycliffe. That's not our problem. Our problem is what Paul puts his finger on here. Have we brought ourselves under the word of God? Have we let it have its way with us? That's what Paul is talking about. Now, as we come to our last point, and you got to love Paul the lawyer here, Paul is anticipating where some of us might be here right now. See, some of us, some of you, me, we're having an internal dialogue during this sermon, right? And the internal dialogue goes something like this. I hear God speaking to me in this area. I hear God applying his word to my heart in this way. But you're struggling, right? And I struggle. Wouldn't, won't it just go better for me just to keep that thing over here? I don't know about relinquishing all of this. I don't, I don't know about presenting my members in this area or that area. That seems risky. That seems dangerous. That seems like there, there could be a lot at stake. I could lose a lot. A lot is on the line. And if you're struggling with that, Paul anticipates that struggle. It's part of our sin nature. And what Paul wants to do under this last point is just give us a quick apologetic a quick reminder, a quick encouragement to why we can yield our members to God in full trust that he will do what is best and right for us. So you look back at the text, verse 20. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. Here, here is what Paul wants us to do. Paul wants us to remember, to get a picture in our mind of a time in our life when we felt like we were really free. That, that, that we were not bound by God or authority or his word that, we, that, that, that whatever that means to be free and calling the shots for myself, Paul wants us to think back to that time. That, that may not be in the very distant past for some of you. It, it might be right here, right now. But Paul's saying, get that in your mind for a moment. Don't go down the rabbit hole with it. Don't go dark. Don't, don't, don't despair. But I want you to get it fixed in your mind. And then here's the question Paul wants us to ask, verse 21. What fruit were you getting from the things which you are now ashamed? You know, here's, here's what's interesting. 
of all my years of pastoral ministry, I've never had someone come in and talk about an area of struggle or sin and say, you know what, Pastor Paul, what, what I wish I had done back at that time, I wished I had just sinned more. If I had just, you know, Pastor Paul, I sinned a six out of 10, but if I could go back and do it over, I would go 10 of 10 all the way. I would be completely enslaved to that, said no one ever. No one's ever said that, right? Because, verse 21, the fruit we can look at and observe from those times, from those seasons, are things that we know ultimately led to death. Death in relationships, death of the soul, death of jobs, death of spiritual dynamics in our life. And guys, by the way, this is, this is true for Christians and non-Christians alike. A number of years ago, I was teaching a course at, at Florida State in family relationships, and we had a section on sexuality, and these were a bunch of 19 and 20-year-olds and um, who would embody the philosophy of there's no higher authority than myself. And I want to get everything out of life that I can get right here, right now, before I kind of like settle down one day. And then I asked them this question. I said, which of you, on that time when you finally do marry or commit your life to a particular person, are either of you on that day going to go back and say, you know what? We wish, we just wish we had been a little sexually freer with even more people than we were. Now I asked that question and it was like a pin dropped, right? because they all know the answer. And by the way, that's not meant to, to heap despair or shame or embarrassment on any of you or us, okay? Grace in the forgiveness of God and new starts, that's not what I'm talking about here. What I'm talking about here is for us to heed Paul's injunction to think about things as they truly are. In fact, you may be enslaved to a particular sin right now, and you're like, I just don't know if I can let it go. Paul says, what fruit are you getting from the things which you are ashamed? See, even, even non-Christians get this. And God, and, 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 and here's the good news in this, church. God in his grace is reminding us of this spiritual law. That that thing which has captured our hearts, that is the thing that we are enslaved to. And God says, I don't want you to be enslaved to sin. It leads to death. I don't want you be, to be enslaved to yourself. There's no hope. There's no path. There is no, no life in this. What I want you to be enslaved to is me. And Matthew 11 tells us that is in a blessed slavery. Because what does Jesus say? Come to me, all you who you are weary and I will give you rest. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. I've come that you might have life and have it abundantly. I'm not saying that you'll have no problems or struggle or suffering in your life, that's not the point, but it's not until you are truly yoked to me, Jesus says, that a man or a woman is truly free. And if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you know that, don't you? You know that to the depths of your soul. If you don't know Jesus Christ, then you have not known true freedom. 
Paul ends this little passage with this very well-known verse. You probably memorized it at some point in your life. For the wages of sin is death. We know that, don't we? The payment, the results, the consequences of a life untethered from God are never good. They, are, they, they don't bring life. They only bring despair. They only bring hopelessness. But Paul doesn't end the sentence there. He says, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. What a paradox, church. The thing that will, we are called to yoke ourselves to is the very thing which frees us is the very thing that gives us life, is the very thing that brings us to Jesus. So church, run to Jesus this morning. He has come that you might have life and have it abundantly. Let's pray.